So as we uh, fight this war, the enemy, I think, the main, our main opponent is cultural Marxism. Uh, it's a really interesting and deep subject, and we have a great report on it by Catherine Gorka. Catherine served at the Department of Homeland Security during the Trump administration. She most recently was the director for Civil Society and the American Dialogue at the Heritage Foundation. And she's the co-author of this very thorough report, uh, a Heritage Foundation special report called How Cultural Marxism Threatens the United States and How Americans Can Fight It. Catherine, it's good to have you on. Hey, it is so good to be here. Well, this is um, a terrifying report, but I think before, <laughs> before we get to the terrifying part, I, I want you to explain what cultural Marxism is, why it's cultural, and why it's Marx, and what makes it Marxism. Okay, all super important questions and questions that we also thought were important to answer, and that's part of what we did in the paper. So, um, Marxism. You know, and, and it is something that's really hotly debated. Is this Marxism or not? But I think it is in the sense that um, it really believes it has to tear down what's here. It has to tear down the existing society in order for it to survive. Um, and I think because of the way it uh, for sees the world as oppressor and oppressed. Mm. Those are fundamentally Marxist. Now, a lot of people will say, but this isn't Marxism because it doesn't focus on, you know, the, the economic element of life. No, that's why we call it cultural Marxism. And this is something that came about through the thinking of the Italian communist Antonio Gramsci. He saw in the 1930s that the workers' revolts that Marx had predicted were not happening in the industrialized societies of the West. They weren't happening in the United States. I mean, yes, communism got a foothold here, but it never really took off, right? And Gramsci saw this in the United States, in Italy, in France, in Germany, and he realized that they are not gonna bring about Marxism or communism through a frontal assault of the worker on the middle class, no. We had to have a different strategy, and the strategy was much more subtle. We have to take over the institutions and change the thinking through the institutions. So, you know, in a sense, largely taking over the cultural institutions, the culture, the writing, the literature, the art, Hollywood, um, uh, educational institutions. And, and you really saw that transformation here in about 1960, it was sort of a piv pivotal moment with the emergence of the new left. And that's when there was this just tremendous explosion of, you know, Marxism, the new Marxism amongst youth and intellectuals. And it kind of moved away from the worker and moved onto the campus. So that's that's kind of what we're writing about. So, you, you know, you're talking about what's often called the, the long march through the institutions. And this is something that is all, I've always wondered about. How, how intentional was this? I, I mean, I know that philosophers talked about the need for it and Marxists talk about the, the need for it, but was there like a meeting somewhere where they also were all going into the universities or was that just a, a kind of natural place for them to go? Wow, that is such an interesting question. And, and I'm not sure that I can answer it okay. definitively, but what I will say, I mean, what, what Mike and I found, and it was so interesting to dig into this, right, was to find sort of pivotal moments that kind of helped further it along. So I'm going to say I think it was probably a little bit of both. I think there was some discussion somewhere amongst people, yes, this is going to work. But then also 
they saw it happening. So, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting, there's that there's a moment in 1960 when the Columbia sociologist, uh, C. Wright Mills, kind of observed, you know, he didn't plan this, but he observed the revolutionary movements around the world seem to be happening among the young intelligentsia. So therefore, this is the new left. Boom. That kind of you know, that that gained traction because people already saw this. But I think it's really interesting when you think about it, just the year before, um, Harvard University invited the young Fidel Castro to come and give a talk. So Fidel, you know, a 32-year-old law student at that point had just, you know, brought about his own revolution in Cuba. You know, I'm sorry, I just have to ask, what the heck were they thinking to invite him to Harvard? <laughs> uh, but they did. And, you know, that, too, sort of sparked. And so there were so many factors, I think, that that led into this. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say I think in some way, you know, I think it was probably a combination of some some planning, some thought, but also some kind of spontaneous, this thing just started gaining speed. And what what exactly is the intention? I mean, when we talk about economic Marxism, we know that the intention is kind of the workers, uh, you know, own their own, the means of production and that everybody's sort of uh, equal. There's no economic injustice. What What is the purpose of cultural Marxism? Well, I think it's, first of all, I think it's constantly evolving and changing. I do think every individual Marxist has their own vision of their utopian future. I mean, let's just take one example, and that would be sort of Black Lives Matter. I mean, okay. they are a perfect manifestation of this cultural Marxism, and they've told us what they want. They want the fa traditional family destroyed. They want children brought up in community. Uh, they want basically a reverse power structure they want you know they want to be in power you know or or conversely take another one you know the critical race theorists what do they want they want to basically do away with the united states as we know it i think they'd happily see the constitution go by the wayside um and and i think this is what's really interesting about about marxism at all is the the very idea that people think they're going to reach some kind of utopian future whereas those of us who bother to look at history, we know where Marxism goes. Right. And I can guarantee you, all those people that are advocating for cultural Marxism, they will be the first ones to have their heads chopped off. <laughs> well, why, are they, why is, is it, are they so effective? I mean, let, let's, let's start with schools and the academies and all this. Why, why is it so, how is it possible, for instance, that all of a sudden, in, in what seems like 10 minutes, people suddenly believe that a man can turn into a woman. I don't believe that anybody actually thinks that's true. Uh, but why are they so effective at selling their bill of goods? Why does critical race theory uh, and anti-family um, information, anti-American information, why does that catch on so quickly? Well, I don't think it does catch on quickly. I think a part of what's happening is, um, and, I, and I, you know, I think there are many, many factors here. It's, it's intellectuals driving this. It's, you know, I think it's the Soviet Union and China feeding us with din disinformation, manipulating, you know, tensions in the culture. Um, but I will say this, I will point to what I think is one of the really significant um, factors here, and it's our foundations, our, our big philanthropies. Um, so this was another paper that Mike and I did right after we did this one, and it was really, really an eye-opener for me. They have been pumping 
millions, millions, tens of millions of dollars into this for years now. Mm. And I think it's, it, you know, money talks. It's, mm. I think it's really, they've been laying the groundwork. They, they fund, you know, and it's, it's not just the big foundations, but let's talk about some of the NGOs as well. But I mean, you know, Planned Parenthood with, with what they fund and Southern Poverty Law Center with what they fund. It all kind of feeds into this sort of same anti-American narrative. It is inter- interesting as uh, as my wife and I look at uh, places to give money, it's very, very hard to find a charity that's not woke and is not promoting a lot of these uh, ideas. What about big business? When you think about Marxism, you think about you know, big business is the enemy, but now it seems that to some degree at least, uh, the corporate world is on board with critical race theory and on board with gender theory and, and all the other uh, culturally Marxist theories. Why is that? This to me is one of the biggest <laughs> mysteries. You know, yeah. you think they of, of anybody would understand, uh, you know, how, how, how effective our free market system is in not just in in allocating resources, but in innovating, in in leading people to prosperity, and you know, and just in so many things that it really kind of baffles me. And all I can say is, I, I guess people get caught up in the band in the bandwagon. Mm. Um, you know that th- this is the the woke moment, and s- s- honestly, it, it it truly truly baffles me that our corporations, above all, have have gone in this direction. And I I truly I don't understand it. I, I think they're they're insane and they're <laughs> they're foolish. And you know, I, I I think if anything, it's you know, partly we have to blame the universities. Um, you know, this stuff has been seeping into the universities for for a long time now. And you think that, you know, every CEO went to an American university. What were they being taught? Um, so I think that's part of the problem, too. You know, so you, if you step back now and you say, where are we? What You know, what's 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 the fee? If we want to fight back about this, which is the next question I'm going to ask you. But before I get to that, What's the battlefield look like now? Are we uh, completely routed, or is it fifty-fifty? Or where do you th- where do you think we are? Oh no, we are so outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. I, I, the battlefield is a little bit scary, but I will say this: you know, when I think about in the long term, when I think about like it's going to be sort of the homeschooled kid kids up against the public school kids, I put all my money on the homeschooled kids, mm. right? So I say, thank God for homeschooling, thank God for classical education. There are still American youth who are being educated with the right ideas, right? And I think. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to put my faith in them, and I, you know, I think the other thing I have to say is the parent of two kids in their 20s. It's been really interesting to see sort of their evolution. Um, I think in a lot of ways, COVID was good for us because I think it showed a lot of kids what it looks like when the government takes control of your life, and and they hated it. You know, mm-hmm. it. It was irrational. It was controlling. It was it was unjust. They did not like that feeling that their lives were not in their own hands. So you know, maybe in the long run, that's going to be the thing that saves us. Do you think it's possible to take the institutions back, or do we have to start to build new? You know, you talk about homeschooling, but and and I'm very very in favor of homeschooling, but it's sort of saying the public schools are a lost cause. 
do you think that there's any chance of winning back the the Yale and Harvard, or, or do you have to start again? I I, that, I think again, it's that that's a very very important question. I'll tell you where I put my hope is in the hundred thousand plus members of Moms for Liberty and other organizations like that. All the parents that are now really putting themselves out there to fight for their children in K through 12 education. What I think is going to happen is you've got a whole generation now of parents that have really put themselves on the line fighting for their kids. And I think as their kids go to college, you're going to start to see the fight happening there. I don't think it happened in my generation. You know, we blithely sent our kids off to the schools that we respected when we were young. I think now we know better. Um, but I think it's sort of this next generation. And the only other thing I'll say is I, I do think, I mean, again, this is a tiny movement, but I am encouraged because I increasingly hear of um, colleges and universities that are fighting back. So somebody just told me about Southern Wesleyan University, mm. where they've got a new a new president who said, you know, woke comes here to die. Mm. Um, he is he is really taking a stand. And you do have a handful of those. But boy, I tell you. It, it is It is going to be the fight of our generation. Interesting. Now, you, you know, one, one thing, I've only got like about a minute left, but a lot of people on the right talk about localism. The localism is the answer. We've got to start fighting on the local level. We've got to stop worrying about what's happening at Davos and start, you know, concentrating on our communities. You sort of recommend that in this report. What exactly does that look like in everyday life? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, it means everything from volunteering to be an election officer to running for a local office to, you know, supporting your local candidates, getting out and fighting for your local candidates, getting involved in your local citizen organizations. I 100% agree that it's going to happen. The change is going to happen locally. So you're, you're talking about political action. Uh, what about cultural action? Uh, I mean, I think that's a tougher one because I still think most of the culture is shaped yeah. out there somewhere. It's it's in Hollywood. I mean, I know this is a topic you care passionately about. <laughs> um, our our wealthy conservatives have to start funding movies and yeah. TV shows to push back against Hollywood. So I think on the cultural level. I see that as, as that, that takes big money. It takes big money. Yeah. 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 Uh, Catherine Gorka, really nice talking to you. Uh, the, the report is from the Heritage Foundation on Cultural Marxism. Uh, as I say, it's, uh, it's not comforting, but it's interesting. And I think it's, we have to know it uh, if we're going to fight back. Thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. 